It's time for Health, Happiness, and Healing with Hippocrates on Legends 100.3. Brought to you by the Hippocrates Health Institute in West Palm Beach. Call for your tour today, 561-471-8876, or visit HippocratesHealthInstitute.org. Now here are the hosts of Health, Happiness, and Healing with Hippocrates, Anna Maria and Brian Clement. This is Health, Happiness, and Healing with Anna Maria and Brian Clement from Hippocrates. Today we have a colleague, an extraordinary human being, Codwell Esselstyn. He received his BA from Yale University and his MD from Western Reserve University. In 1956, pulling the number six oar as a member of the victorious United States rowing team, he was awarded a gold medal at the Olympic Games. Wow. He was trained as a surgeon at the Cleveland Clinic and at St. George Hospital in London, England. In 1968, as an army surgeon in Vietnam, he was awarded the Bronze Star. Mm. Dr. Esselstein has been associated with the Cleveland Clinic since 1968. During that time, he has served as president of the staff as a member of the Board of Governors. He chaired the clinic's breast cancer task force and headed its section of thyroid and parathyroid surgery. He's a fellow of the American College of Cardiology. In 1991, Dr. Esselstyn served as president of the American Association of Endocrine Surgeons. That same year, he organized the first national conference on the elimination of coronary artery disease. What a task that was, which was held in Tucson, Arizona. In 1997, he chaired a fellow UP conference, the Summit on Cholesterol and Coronary Disease, which brought together more than 500 physicians and healthcare workers in here in Florida. In April 2005, Dr. Esselstyn became the first recipient of the Benjamin Spock Award for Compassion in Medicine. He received the Distinguished Alumnus Award from the Cleveland Clinic's Alumni Association in 2009. In September 2010, he received his Greater Cleveland Sports Hall of Fame Award. Dr. Esselstyn received the 2013 Deerfield Academy Alumni Association Heritage Award in recognition of outstanding achievement and service. And the night in 2013, Yale University George H.W. Bush, 48th Lifetime of Leadership Award. Dr. Esselstyn has also received the 2015 Project Lumination Award, the Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine. 2016 also Distinguished Alumni Award in the American College of Lifestyle Medicine one of the founding members. His scientific publications number over 150, The Best Doctors in America, 1994 to 1995, published by Woodward and White Cities, Dr. Esselstyn's surgical expertise in the categories endocrine and breast disease. In 1995, he published his benchmark long-term nutritional research, arresting and reversing coronary artery disease in several ill patients. 
That same study was updated at 12 years and reviewed beyond 20 years in his book, Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease, making it one of the longest longitudinal studies of its type. In July of 2014, he reported the experience of 198 participants seriously ill with this heart disease during almost four years of follow-up of 89% adhered to the program. 99.4% avoided further major cardiac events. Fantastic. Mm. Dr. Esselstyn and his wife, Ann, have followed a plant-based diet since 1984. Esselstyn's presently direct the Cardiovascular Prevention and Reversal Program at the Cleveland Clinic Wellness Institute. The Ethelsteins have four children and ten grandchildren. He's certainly been one of my mentors and heroes over the years. Uh, Anna Marie and I have had the privilege to travel with him in Europe and lecture Mm, and speak at both medical uh, schools as well as to the public. And it's rare that you meet somebody who has such an illustrious background and such high credentials and has worked so darn hard his 85 or so years of life. And still so passionate. still passionate and down to earth and Mm. kind. Uh, So, you know, when you you see the humanity in people, no matter what walk of life they come from, uh, you may agree or disagree with some of the things that people do, but you have to always, I would hope you always, supported somebody who was authentic and bold and completely transparently honest. Uh, somebody as a doctor who really had one mission and only one mission throughout his, his years. Uh, he wins the bronze medal saving the lives of guys on a bat- battlefield. He wins the gold medal for the Olympics on a rowing team. He shows he's a team player. Uh, He publishes the most important cardiovascular study ever conducted in the history of man. Mm -hmm. And as you heard, reverses almost 100% of heart disease by plant-based diets. And uh, it's too bad that this man, over the next 20 or so years, will no longer be with us. And we'll never see 100 years from now when we look at him as the pioneer in cardiovascular dietary lifestyle. Uh, This is so important today, and many of you out there listening, either you or a loved one has heart disease. Almost none of you have a disease. You have a lifestyle problem. That's all it is. A disease is something where part of your anatomy is broken or your chemistry has been polluted. This is you have polluted your body, that you have filled your veins and your capillaries with animal fat. You have smoked and clogged your veins. You've eaten salt. You've eaten processed food. You've eaten eggs. You've eaten dairy. And all of these things are no longer suspect. All of these things are documented killers, creating heart disease, diabetes, cancer, and contributing to a wide array of other disorders. I know it's difficult for many of you listening to this today, but on the radio and in the air. You're going to hear the most important man living and how you can reverse heart problems. We'll be right back with Dr. Esselstyn 
uh, certainly the most notable authority on cardiovascular reversal. We're now talking about his early work with cancer and some of the stunning things that are being seen by Dr. Dean Arnish and others globally. We'll be right back. Birds flying high You know how I feel Sun in the sky You know how I feel Breeze drifting on by You know how I feel It's a new dawn It's a new day It's a new life For me And I'm feeling good I'm feeling good Fish in the sea You know how I feel River running free You know how I feel Blossom on a tree You know how I feel It's a new dawn It's a new day It's a new life For me And I'm feeling good Dragonfly out in the sun You know what I mean, don't you know? Butterflies all having fun You know what I mean Sleep in peace when day is done That's what I mean And this old world is a new world And a bold world for me of the pine You know how I feel Oh, freedom is mine And I know how I feel It's a new dawn It's a new day It's a new life It's a new dawn It's a new day It's a new life It's a new So good. 
Hippocrates Health Institute is located on 55 beautiful acres in West Palm Beach. They change lives through their life transformation program, their weight loss academy, and so much more. Hippocrates Health Institute has lectures every month, a health and happiness event open house the last Tuesday of each month, and other events. Learn more at HippocratesInst.org. That's HippocratesInst.org or call 561-471-8876. Now back to Health, Happiness, and Healing with Hippocrates on Legends 100.3. Call for your tour today, 561-471-8876, or visit HippocratesHealthInstitute.org. Now here are the hosts of Health, Happiness, and Healing with Hippocrates, Anna Maria and Brian Clement. This is Health, Happiness, and Healing with Brian and Anna Maria Clement at Hippocrates. Well, another exceptional day we have to spend some time together to open up everything in your mind so that you can have a better life, an improved life. And today, one of our dear leaders in the field of complementary health care and advanced cardio concerns, Dr. Esselstyn's on with us. Dr. Esselstyn, how are you doing today? <laughs> we got a lot of snow up here. Oh, <laughs> I bet. Well, we'll, s we'll send some warmth your way. But besides the snow, you had this incredibly interesting background. And, you know, we, we spent some time talking to you and your wife, Anna Marie and I, when we were on lecture tours in, in the country of Lithuania. And it really always interests me why a guy decides to become a doctor. So let's start right there. You're a young guy and you have many choices, and you say, no, I want to be a medical doctor. Well, I wonder if your audience really wants to hear about about me. I'm sure they'd much rather uh, hear about how we're tackling uh, uh, chronic illness, but I can give you a little a little bit of background. And I grew up on an Aberdeen Angus uh, beef farm and, and a dairy farm in upstate New York, yeah. I went to Yale University as an undergraduate, mm -hmm. and then I went to medical school at Western Reserve in Cleveland, Ohio, and then I took my uh, postgraduate training at the Cleveland Clinic, <clears throat> where I trained to be a general surgeon. Then I finished my training there. I had two years in the Army. My first year was at Fayetteville, North Carolina. My second year was as a combat surgeon in Vietnam. And... Uh, that pretty well. <laughs> well then, then, then all at once you ended up working at Cleveland Clinic. Everyone knows what the Cleveland Clinic is. How did that happen? Mm. Well, I, uh, I always <clears throat> kind of enjoyed uh, surgery, and it was uh, an area of particular interest in uh, thyroid, parathyroid disease, and, and breast cancer. Okay. Which are the areas that I ended up? Uh, I just ended up as a chairman of the Breast Cancer Task Force hmm. and head of the section on thyroid and parathyroid surgery. But it was halfway through my uh, career as a surgeon that I found myself getting more and more frustrated hmm. with the fact that, for no matter how many women I was doing breast surgery, I found that I was doing absolutely nothing 
for the next unsuspecting victim. Mm, mm. And that led to a bit of global research. And it was quite striking that there were many cultures where breast cancer rates were 30 and 40 times less frequent than the United States. And uh, if you look, for instance, at uh, rural Japan, in the 1950s, uh, breast cancer was very infrequently identified, and yet as soon as the Japanese women would migrate to the United States by the second and third generation, still pure Japanese-American, they now had the same rate <coughs> of breast cancer mm-hmm. as their ca- Caucasian counterpart. Yeah. So what, you're, uh, what, you, what you actually found must have been stunning to you, that some places like rural Japan in the 1950s had 30 times, not 30%, but 30 times less breast cancer, but just two or three generations living in California or New York, yeah. they had the same rate as American-born women. Pick, picked up our habits. Well, that's that's mm-hmm. stunning. Mm-hmm. That's stunning. So you continue to do obviously the breast surgery to help to save the lives of women but what did you add at when you found that what did you add into your work at that stage it was hard to do it in just an office is it but you i found myself beginning to counsel patients on the benefits of whole food plant-based nutrition hmm. uh, as i was found myself doing that more and more I really thought I said I got to do a I got to do a study because mm-hmm. this and uh, especially on heart disease I should finish the global survey story and that was it if you looked at for instance the uh, in 1958 in the entire nation of Japan how many autopsy proven deaths were there from cancer of the prostate mm-hmm. the entire nation. 18. Wow. Oh, boy. That was the most mind-boggling public Mm. health figure that I think I've ever encountered. And yet, by 1978, uh, 20 years later, they were up to 150, which still pales in comparison to the 28,000 who will die in this country this year. Wow. But it was about that same time, I wondered if it wouldn't be really more bang for the buck mm-hmm. if I could look at cardiovascular disease because in this uh, global review I was encountering multiple cultures where cardiovascular disease was virtually almost non-existent mm-hmm. for instance if you're a cardiac surgeon and you decide that you're going to hang out your shingle mm-hmm. uh, either in Okinawa rural China in northern Mexico or the Papua Highlanders, forget it. You better plan on selling lollipops. Oh. <laughs> Isn't that, I mean, it, the way you say it is, is, is absolutely clear. You're exactly right. Mm-hmm. They don't need cardiovascular surgeons where they eat well and mm-hmm. they have different lifestyles mm-hmm. than us. So, but at, the, at the same time, <laughs> where the cardiovascular disease is non-existent, there was also markedly a lessened likelihood of a chronic illness. So yeah. it just seemed that there would be more bang for the buck if we could, and the dream really was reshaped like this. If we could get patients to eat mm. plant-based nutrition without oil to save their heart, 
they at the same time would be lessening the likelihood of their developing the common Western cancers of breast, prostate, colon, and pancreatic. Boy, you're exactly right. Now, I should also have added, but I didn't know it at the time, but what we see since then, there doesn't have to be a malignancy that you're sparing as a chronic illness. It also eliminates vascular dementia and strokes and hypertension and diabetes, yes. uh, not to mention heart attacks plus. Mm. Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, multiple sclerosis, allergies, and asthma, and the list goes on. Yes. <laughs> Never, ever in medicine have we had such an absolutely powerful tool in our toolbox mm. with no added expense for the patients and no hideous side effects. So here, Dr. Esselstyn, you're, you're discovering these things, and it was, I'm sure, a revelation for you. And now when you started to express that to your colleagues, what was the result of that? <laughs> I was always a pretty hard-nosed uh, surgeon, but as soon as I got an interest in nutrition, behind my back, I was called, <laughs> I was called Dr. Sprouts. Uh, That's something. I bet you were. Which I, I thought actually was an absolute compliment. Yes, they had, exactly. and, they had, and so did those other physicians who came to see us when they had heart disease. <laughs> but mm-hmm. let's, let's stop right there and review. So here you are, you discover this, and a lot of the people who joked about it, mm-hmm. when they had a heart problem, where did they come? They came to you. Oh, before that, what changed it all was when we did the, the research and, uh, and the results we got. For instance, I, I went to cardiology, and, I, and thank heavens to Bill Sheldon, who was the chairman of cardiology at that time back in 1984, 85. I said, uh, I need about 24 patients because I can't handle any more of that and continue with my surgical responsibilities, but Mm. I wanted to take 24 patients who were seriously ill with triple vessel heart disease and see if I couldn't get them to change to eating whole food plant-based nutrition and whether or not we would be able to halt or possibly reverse their disease. And so Mm. uh, they came and they they were, as my late brother-in-law used to say, these were SEs walking dead. (laughs) (laughs) They had failed their first or second bypass. They had failed their first or second angioplasty. Mm. They were too sick for these procedures or they had refused. And five were told by their expert cardiologist they wouldn't last out the year. But those five made it all beyond 20 years. Mm. They were perfect for you. (laughs) uh, The question was, my fear was how was I going to get these patients to make these nutritional change, which really was quite uh, significant. Uh, some people call it radical or severe or draconian, but uh, I said, wait a minute, it's really no different than it's being eaten by half the planet Earth that never has this disease. So I really uh, challenge people when they say it's extreme or radical. Wouldn't you think a bypass surgery or open heart surgery is more extreme than eating? <laughs> I've said that many times. Yeah, and so, then, uh, yeah. yeah. So the uh, the mantra that I decided to use to try to get these patients to be compliant was actually one that I had used for my cancer patients for years. It was something that I had learned as a mantra from a wonderful West Coast surgeon by the name of uh, Bert Dunphy. Oh yes, yeah. And Bert used to say. The patients with cancer are not afraid to suffer. Patients with cancer are not afraid to die. 
the patients with cancer are afraid of being abandoned by their physician or by their family. And so for the first five years of this study, I saw every patient in the office every two weeks. We drew blood for their cholesterol, checked their weight and blood pressure, and I went over every morsel they ate. Wow, fantastic. At the end of five, uh, five years, I got a little bit bolder, and I stretched it out to once a month. Hmm. Now, most cardiologists will see their patients maybe twice a year. So then at the end of a decade, they were really now pretty well on autopilot, so I stretched it out to quarterly. And then at 12 years is when I wrote, wrote it up and we published our results in uh, the Journal of Family Practice. And that really kind of makes it one of the longest studies of its type wow. in uh, cardiovascular medicine because oh, yeah. it's almost half a career. <laughs> as, and Dr. Esselstyn, as I recall, there was almost unanimous or very close to unanimous results recovery from these heart problems. Is that well, not so? We were, well, we were quite excited because <clears throat> of the original 24, I'm going to be as honest as I can, uh, of the original 24, there were six who I knew within the first four to six weeks, they just didn't get it. I mean, they were nice guys, and right. they were... I had absolutely zero money for this study, so I re- really I let them release them from the study, and they returned to their expert cardiologist, and they became what I call my sort of quasi-control mm, group. Right. Mm, yes. Yes. Yeah. Because we followed followed them just as I followed the other patients for 12 years, hmm. and at the at the end of 12 years, the six had dropped out, two had died, and the other four had to have a bypass. Hmm. On, on, the, on the other hand, mm. now the 18 that stayed with us, I wanted to know in the eight years prior to coming into our study, while they were in the hands of expert cardiologists, how many events, how many coronary events of worsening disease did they have during those eight years prior to coming into our study? And that those 18 had 49 cardiac events of worsening disease in those eight years still in the hands of expert cardiologists. However, once they came into our study over the next 12 years, 17 of those 18 had no further events, Hmm. and we did have one little sheep who wandered from the flock at six years, Uh. right into the lamb chops, Uh dry, glazed donuts, more angina, Mm -hmm. had the bypass, and I'm happy to say he's back with the flock, but proves the point. <laughs> oh, good. Boy, that's, that's, <laughs> there's the no, that I was trying to uh, yeah, establish. We're talking to Dr. Esselstyn, who was a surgeon, worked with breast problems in great part, started to realize when he looked at this, more than just doing the surgical end of it, that there were parts of the world that virtually had none or very, very little breast cancer. And he realized that it was their diet, it was their lifestyle. Uh, started to also realize if you had a cancer problem, wouldn't it also, the bad lifestyle affect heart problems and diabetes and dementia and every single disease under the sun? And concluded that he wanted to do some research. Uh, he is well loved in our field of progressive healthcare because he was the first or one of the first who said, we've got to legitimize this. We can't be out of the box. We pretty much have to follow the rules and show that changing one's diet is as powerful. And as you said, it's the most powerful tool that you've ever found in your medicine uh, 
cabinet. So tell me more about that. How did this progress? I know you did the research. You, You became more and more confident. You worked with more and more people. When did you start to see the light at the end of the tunnel and people started to listen to accept this? Well, uh, that was kind of challenging because the uh, you you might think that after we showed that we could halt disease and we also secured and published a number of extremely dramatic uh, photographs of angiographic reversal, uh, we thought that that would really capture the imagination. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> of everyone, <laughs> yeah, should have been of everyone. <laughs> not the way it, that's not the way it works. I know. Mm-mm. We were absolutely scalded because, well, your diet is extreme; it's uh, too too significant. Uh, it, really, what you have to do is you have to do a thousand patients that are randomized oh, yeah. and uh, uh, prospectively, and then uh, what makes you think? you could do this with a larger group and get the same results. So uh, we did. And this time it was a study not of 18 patients, but it was of 200. Mm-hmm. And these 200 patients, uh, <clears throat> the, uh, the thing that we did was, uh, I guess the challenge, one of the challenges that we, challenges that we always faced from uh, other members of the medical community, where how can you get your patients to follow this? To be uh, adherent, yeah, to be adherent. The first thing we did was we saw them, I remember, every two weeks. Now, we've had to change that format because right now, in the present setup, uh, where I direct the cardiovascular disease prevention and reversal program at the Cleveland Clinic Wellness Institute, the patients are not referred by any physicians. They all seem to be coming by self-referral. Mm-hmm. These are patients either throughout Canada, throughout the United States, and from overseas. And we usually limit it, limit it to tw- no more than 12 or 14 persons, always with their significant other. Because here's mm-hmm. the trick when you only got a chance to see these patients once. How are you going to make them adhere to such a significant ch- plant-based uh, diet. You're exactly. Do you're, it, that's smart, you're smart thinking. Mm. That's smart because the husband and wife aren't in it together. Set, certainly, must, the yeah, husband. Right. You must, show the, you must show the patient respect. Mm-hmm. The only way that I know to show a patient respect is to give them my time. So we now have. They can only stay for one day, but it is a six-hour day. They're going to have a six-hour uh, lecture about this disease in terms of they're going to have to understand all about how they have created their disease Mm. and precisely how we are going to empower them as the locus of control to halt and reverse their disease. And then in addition, everyone gets a very hefty notebook. And in the notebook will be a copy of every PowerPoint slide that I use, Mm. several of our scientific articles, a 44-page handout with many additional recipes that uh, add to the 240, which will be in the two books that we provide. Then there's a marvelous uh, presentation from a woman who's had 30 years experience acquiring and preparing plant-based foods, dealing with reading ingredients, travel, and restaurants. And then everybody receives a DVD of the entire seminar that I filmed from an earlier one. So should they go home and get forgetful or rusty, 
they get themselves uh, get back up to speed. Mm-hmm. I like your approach. You leave them no option but to do the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, uh, the other thing that we uh, think is important is we have always two or three local or regional participants who've had a previous successful experience mm-hmm. share their story with those who are in attendance who are then able to say to themselves, listen, if he or she can do this, I can do this. Mm-hmm. And then we have a delightful luncheon and then stay in touch as necessary and uh, really, it's been <clears throat> very exciting because when we looked, looked them up, there were, uh, our adherence rate was 89.3%, almost boy, boy. 90%, mm. which was something we were quite proud about. The other thing is <clears throat> you must uh, always have the spouse there because we learned that, yeah, I mean, it's, it's yes. the reason why most physicians fail mm. when it comes to lifestyle change is... You cannot do this in a 12 or 15 minute office visit. It really, <clears throat> that brief a period right. gives the patient a message that this must not be very important. You got it. But when you take them and you say, listen, I need you for the entire day, and this is so meaningful that you are going to get this hefty notebook, and, and I must add that this, that Two weeks before the seminar, my secretary will present me with the names of all the patients who are coming and their phone numbers. And I will call every one of them myself because beforehand because I really want to get my arms around their story and at the same time permit them an opportunity to ask questions of me over the phone so that coming to the seminar we have a strong platform from which we can all move forward. You said something right. so powerful, and it really touched me deeply, and I'm, I'm sure the listeners, mm-hmm. that you show people the respect that, sadly, they don't get in the normal system. Right. I mean, I never even thought about that until you said it. Mm-hmm. People rush through in 15 minutes, the poor doctor, even if they want to help the person, what can you do? You can't do anything in 15 minutes. I know that your spouse, your partner, uh, the woman you've been married to for how many years now? Fifty-eight. Fifty-eight wow. years. She's right at your side, like mine, and mm-hmm. I'm sure we're we get a lot of credit for what work they do, and so she's doing these programs with you. So they see Dr. Essie is really not the only guy talking about this, mm-hmm. and his wife is doing it, yes. and I'm sh- your children are doing this now too. Oh yeah. Jane and Rip, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, amazing. So you became this common household name when you worked with uh, President Clinton. Tell us us about that. That must have been fun. (laughs) Well, not too much because, you know, the old old patient-doctor confidential. No, he he has been a gentleman, and uh, I simply sent him a copy of my book. And then I guess it was uh, while he was uh, being interviewed by Wolf Butzer, mm-hmm. both he gave uh, kudos to three of us, to Dr. Dean Ornish, to Dr. Colin Campbell, and to Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn. Yes. Right. But I thought that was, I thought Clinton was very gracious. Mm-hmm. And uh, said, well, you know, if it helped other people become interested in ways to halt and reverse oh, yeah. the was certainly a positive. It did. Uh, well, it as did. a matter of fact, when when people talk to him, mm. uh, even 
up until today, he'll mention you yes. and the influence you had. I mean, this poor young guy was in and out of hospitals. What did he have? Two bypass surgeries before? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know. You saved it, his life. It, it's wonderful what you discovered, but it's actually more wonderful and fulfilling that you're able to see results. I mean, in the first part of your career, doing yeah. surgeries, but then the poor woman goes out and she has no changes in her life. How often did you have to do a second surgery on that same person? Well, it's hard to know. I don't know that that's ever been really looked up from that from that standpoint, but I think you make an interesting point. Usually when patients, uh, if, this, if this, I guess the most discouraging thing that you would have to say that a breast surgeon has to go through is that you will operate on somebody, and let's say that <clears throat> their cancer seems to be contained, the evaluation of the specimen from the pathologist's standpoint shows that all your margins have been clear and that all the lymph nodes are negative, okay? Mm -hmm. And you start checking her out after uh, first year, second year, and five year, 10 years. And then at the 15th year, uh, when they come back, they've been complaining of some back pain. Mm -hmm. And uh, sadly, when you get the x-rays, uh, there's uh, cancer in the spine. And it's breast cancer that is metastasized. Now. Mm. Here's here's the thing. Some people will call that a recurrence. Mm -hmm. uh, my own uh, evaluation of that is it's not really a, a recurrence because a recurrence uh, is more of an en enlargement. I see. In other words, oh, yeah. it never went away. Cells, so, yeah. Those cells, at the time that we did the breast cancer surgery, and the cells were at that time circulating through this patient's uh, really th through their uh, circulatory system because uh, these uh, cancers are invasive. That is, they invade, even though they're can you get around them, they have, before you ever do the operation, mm. the cells are circulating through the lymphatics and exactly. through the mm -hmm. circulatory system. So right. if a few of those cells, unbeknownst to the patient or ourselves, take up housekeeping, mm in some area of the spine, but they're not going to be causing any difficulty until they enlarge to the point that they're symptomatic. Right. So what we try to do, I think, with uh, by having those patients uh, eating whole food, plant-based nutrition, is make the environment very, very unhospitable exactly. for cancers to grow or to, uh, to nestle up and make a, uh, a home from which they can grow. Mm. Ornish, Ornish did an interesting thing uh, with prostate cancer when he took a uh, petri. Well, he did a number. He found that early stage prostate cancer actually could be halted and, and the genetic profile could be reversed. Also, they grew, grew prostate cancer in a petri dish. And when they introduced serum from somebody who was a uh, omnivore, Mm -hmm. the serum from that individual would inhibit the cancer growth by about 7%. Right. But then they did it again with a serum from somebody who was totally plant-based, right? and it inhibited the growth 70%. Isn't that amazing? What but a it's, difference. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty exciting to know that these plants that you're eating are really... Uh, yeah. Well, there's the phytonutrients, the phytochem phytochemicals. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you, this, this mm -hmm. is really, really interesting. And we'll be right back with Dr. Esselstyn 
uh, certainly the most notable authority on cardiovascular reversal. We're now talking about his early work with cancer and some of the stunning things that are being seen by Dr. Dean Arnish and others globally. We'll be right back. in spring and weather more than 24 hours in a day that be spent in sweet content just dreaming away when sky is a gray when sky is a blue a morning noon and night time too all I do the whole day through Health Institute is located on 55 beautiful acres in West Palm Beach. They change lives through their life transformation program, their weight loss academy, and so much more. Hippocrates Health Institute has lectures every month, a health and happiness event open house the last Tuesday of each month, and other events. Learn more at HippocratesInst.org. That's HippocratesInst.org or call 561 471 8876. Now back to health, happiness, and healing with Hippocrates on Legends 100.3. Call for your tour today, 561-471-8876, or visit HippocratesHealthInstitute.org. Now here are the hosts of Health, Happiness, and Healing with Hippocrates, Anna Maria and Brian Clement. This is Health, Happiness, and Healing with Brian. And Anna Maria Clement. So we're here with Dr. S. Olsten, and what an honor to spend time with you. And, you know, we spent time even in Lithuania with you and Anne, and really got to uh, learn and, and respect you even more. 
for the work that you've done and what you share with the world. So no, I think it's great <laughs> that you guys have, uh, have with Petrus have, uh, have been trying to do, I guess, over there in Lithuania. It sounds to me, every time I hear <laughs> oh, it, Petrus, uh, he tells me that they're, <laughs> oh, <it's laughs> that so they're moving forward. So, that, so that exciting. That would be great. Oh. I mean, they're, they're changing the future course of healthcare there. Mm-hmm. And we're graduating uh, due to Dr. Esselstyn, Dr. Campbell, Yale University, uh, Loma Linda University, Harvard University, some of the, the great great scientists that are alive today who are willing to stick their necks out. Mm -hmm. Uh, We put together a curriculum and we're training people for master's degrees and doctoral degrees in lifestyle medicine. So thank you for that. Well, it's interesting that we were uh, uh, were just recently in Denmark and uh, and a few months after that we were in Iceland, but both places obviously have far too much in the way of cardiovascular disease. Oh, yeah. Mm. Uh, Denmark, <laughs> Denmark is interesting. Boy, if you ever want to see bicycles, you go to Denmark. <laughs> I know. I, yeah. I used to live in Denmark. I ran a yeah. health center there in 1977. Lovely people. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> just about like Holland. So, yeah. so how Let me uh, yeah. just finish up one thing on the, mm. uh, on that, the study of uh, 200 patients. People are probably yeah. wondering well, what are the results. Well, this, the follow-up there was uh, close, to, close to four years and uh, of our uh, of the 198 patients that were followed, uh, there were t- 21 who uh, uh, were not compliant, and of those 21 who were not compliant, 62% had evidence of progressive disease mm. in that follow-up period. On the other hand, mm. 177 who were compliant. Yeah. Over that same period of time, one patient had disease progression, and he was okay until he went to China. When he was in China, he absolutely, totally forgot the rules of the game, misbehaved, off the economy. He always had a tendency to have high blood pressure, and this elevated, and he had a small cerebellar stroke from which, fortunately, he recovered. Mm. Uh, But uh, it was really quite exciting to, to think that when I compared uh, you'd have to almost see the uh, the paper yeah. to, to know what I'm going to say next and that is I compared our results with the better known uh, cardiovascular results at the same time period for example at the end of four years in the well known Lyon diet heart study which is mm-hmm. the Mediterranean study out of France mm-hmm. The local rules at the end of four years, 25% had either stroke, heart attack, or death. The other one, uh, out of uh, Columbia Presbyterian Hospital in New York City, the natural history of coronary disease at the end of four years, it was over to over 20%. Mm. And then there's Bill Bowden's well-known Courage study. Uh, that had something like 19%. So of those three well-known studies, the average recurrence was somewhere around 22 or 23%. Mm. Now... We also looked at our own results in that time period, and it was not one, two, or three. It was six. one patient that I mentioned. It was six-tenths six tenths of one percent. That is over a 30-fold difference between those other cardiovascular. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's so simple. Yeah. yeah. And, of course— well, now, In other words, what, uh, what, what made that difference? The difference was, quite frankly, this. We were treating, <clears throat> we were treating the causation of the illness. Uh, 
And there's been a basic covenant of trust between the caregiver and the patient ever since the days of Hippocrates, Mm. that whenever possible, the caregiver will share with the patient what is the causation of the illness. And sadly today, in general cardiovascular medicine, that's not being done. And that's something we really are going to have to try to change. As a matter of fact, four years ago, I was invited uh, to join the American College of Cardiology to become a member of their nutrition committee, which I've done. And there are about uh, 38 or 39 physicians on that nutrition committee. I would say 99% are whole food plant-based, and that committee is working very hard Mm. to educate the cardiovascular community about the causation of the illness that they have been designated to treat. But it's a little bit slow. It's like trying to turn around the Queen Mary. <laughs> but, uh, You'll do it, but it takes time. But, you know, that, that's encouraging. So here this this uh, board, of, and you're a fellow on this board, and it must have been uh, a real privilege for you to, you're not a cardiologist. So no, that's right. Everyone I mean, else, they're many, cardiologists. Not too many general surgeons on that. Board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're the only one. The rest are cardiologists or heart surgeons. Or yeah. Isn't that something? Well, I mean, I think you know. Let's be honest. Uh, you know, I, I read all of this literature. Nobody has ever done a study like yours that pinned it. You pinned it. You put it against the wall, and there's no way to squirm out of the results you have. I mean, look at you. Just gave one story that. Uh, you took 200 people, yeah. 21 of them fell off track, mm-hmm. 62% of them continued to progress with their disease, had problems, probably ended up with strokes, heart attack. Mm-hmm. You had about 179, 177 people, and only one went south. And <laughs> now you have <laughs> le- by far less than 1% where everyone else had 22, 25%. And you told us it's how many difference? Three or 30, 30 times better results because they 30 mm. fold can you imagine this yeah. I mean, mm. and, and so you know i know it's hard to turn the queen mary but my god i hope you live another 50 years so that we all do it together <laughs> i know and anybody anybody it listening all, should uh, listen to this down, yeah it really all comes down to having mm. and i'll tell you where i i don't this is no secret but i'll tell you why i think we uh we have success. I mentioned the fact that we try to show the patient respect, but the other thing Mm. that I think, especially with the heart patients, which where I really throw the hook, I spend about an hour talking about the endothelium Mm -hmm. because all experts would agree that where this disease has its inception, its onset, its beginning, is when we progressively injure the life jacket and the guardian of our blood vessel, which happens to be that delicate innermost lining, the endothelium, because it is the endothelium that produces that magic molecule of gas, nitric oxide, which is responsible for the salvation and the protection of our blood vessels because Mm. of its functions. And so literally you can argue that, or I have these patients understand, that Mm. the only reason that they're sitting there in front of me during our seminar with their heart disease is because they have so destroyed their endothelial tissue, that they no longer have enough nitric oxide to protect themselves. However, mm. the good news about this is the following. This is not a malignancy. This is a completely benign foodborne illness. And once I can convince these people never, ever again to pass through their lips a single morsel of any 
uh, food that is going to further injure their endothelial cells, then I really I've got them. But I've let's just, let's let's explain. You know, the listeners, this yeah. is new. This what is what great. you're talking about, Doctor mm-hmm. Esselstein? We're not talking about only red meat. We're talking about chicken. We're talking about turkey. We're talking mm-hmm. about duck. We're talking about lamb. We're but talking olive, about and olive oil and and, yes. and dairy. Well, well, expl- yeah. Explain that. I mean, oh, so yeah. it's not only oils, the dairy. The, all the the foods that injure the endothelial tissue are one. Hmm. Any drop of oil, olive oil, corn oil, soybean oil, safflower oil, sunflower oil, coconut oil, palm oil, oil in a cracker, oil in a piece of bread, <clears throat> oil in a salad dressing, and anything that has a mother or a face, meat, right. fish, fowl, turkey, and eggs, and anything that is dairy, milk, cream, butter, cheese, ice cream, and yogurt, and hmm. sugary drinks, diet colas, Pepsi, and Coke, and sugary foods, cakes, pies, cookies, stevia, agave, excesses of maple syrup, molasses, and honey. And I don't like, I don't like nuts. I don't like peanut butter, and I don't like cashew sauce. And I'm not right. keen on even avocado. So I mean, or, you, you you have a hard sell. So everyone listening all I mean, over the I, world says, "What the I heck am I going to eat?" I, I can be a taskmaster. I've also been told that I'm not as mean as I look. No, no, no. You're you're just brighter and tougher than most of them, and you tell the truth. Yeah, no, no, no. There's, I I hate. I love success. I hate failure. I'm with yeah. you on that one. I'm with you. Well, you know, from the time you served in Vietnam and you were out there in the field trying to bring guys back to life, I'm sure that taught you a lot about the urgency of life and the preciousness of life. And so your work and uh, the wonderful, wonderful contribution you've made to science Mm. is going to be long-lasting. I'm sure 100 years from now, they're going to be looking back at the literature and saying, well, this was a pioneer. Everyone else was heading south, and this guy headed north. Yeah, and why did it take so long? Why, yeah, why did not? And then, then they'll say, they'll act like they knew it. Of course we knew that. Yeah. <laughs> Brian, let me, uh, Brian, let me just make one, uh, one closing comment. Hmm. And my father always used to say, be sure you leave while you're, always, while you're most welcome. Oh, yes. uh, yeah. That is it. I really guess the, the reason I am so still excited about the field of medicine, although it's been... 20 years since I retired from surgery, Hmm. that uh, I really see before us uh, a seismic revolution in health. And the seismic revolution in health is never going to come about with another pill or a drug or or a procedure, Hmm. nor an operation like a bypass. The seismic revolution in health will come about when we in the profession have the will and the grit and the determination to share with the public what is the lifestyle and most specifically Mm. what is the nutritional literacy that will empower them as the locus of control to absolutely annihilate chronic illness. Thank you. Good for you, I'm telling you. So you've been listening to one of the most important men today in the field of progressive health care, lifestyle medicine. He helped to found a group that has thousands of medical doctors as part of it, lifestyle medicine physicians. And you can get a hold of Dr. Esselstyn through his great assistant, Jackie, mm-hmm. and get your pens and papers. I'll give you the number. And you can attend his course. I think it's monthly. every month. Is mm-hmm. it 12 months a year, Dr. Esselstyn? It's uh, monthly. One month that we don't do it is August. Okay, mm-hmm. so then 11 months a year. And you can get a hold of Jackie and learn how you can get into this and and help you and loved ones uh, prevent and reverse heart disease and, and other problems. And other problems, not just heart disease. Not just disease. heart disease. 
216, it's Jackie 216-448, that's 448-8556. So 216-448-8556. Dr. Esselstyn, it's been a privilege to have you on. Just uh, keep up your work and let the wind be behind your your extraordinary gift. God bless you and Anne. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Listen. Stay well. Bye-bye. Bye. We'll listen next week. We'll open up a new world for each and every one of you. Have a time every day where you sit and reflect on all the gifts that you have. Life is great. Just make it so. Thanks for listening to Health, Happiness, and Healing with Hippocrates on Legends 100.3. Call for your tour today, 561-471-8876, or visit HippocratesHealthInstitute.org.